Hello, my name is Adrian Goldberg and welcome to the Byline Times podcast. The Byline Times is what the papers don't say, what radio doesn't report and what telly doesn't tell you. This time, as the Tories are trounced in two by-elections, is there any way back for Rishi Sunak? Labour overturned Peter Bone's 18,000 majority in the Northamptonshire seat of Wellingborough, a catastrophically bad defeat, according to Gavin Barwell, an ex-Tory MP, and Theresa May's former Chief of Staff, Labour also overcame an 11,000 majority in Kingswood in South Gloucestershire. Obviously, great news for Keir Starmer. But Reform UK, the party that grew from the ashes of UKIP, came third in both by-elections, offering a threat to the Tories from the right. We're going to catch up now with Byline Times political editor Adam Bienkoff and first John Tong, Professor of Politics at Liverpool University. So, John, is there any way back from Rishi Sunak after this? Almost certainly not. If you look beyond the two by-election defeats, catastrophic enough as they were, look at the other indicators in terms of a general election. The party that leads on the economy always wins the election. The Conservatives are trailing Labour on which party is perceived as better managing the economy. If you look at leadership, who is the preferred leader, you've got to go back to, way back to 45 years, to 1979, where the lesser of the preferred leaders Margaret Thatcher was actually trailing Jim Callaghan in, in 1979. That was the last time that the less preferred leader actually won. If you look at broader perceptions of party competence, again, Labour leads the Conservatives. It would be a feat of escapology never, ever previously seen in British politics for the Conservatives to come back and win the next election. There's a debate to be had about the size of the Labour majority, for sure. But at the moment, it seems inconceivable the Conservatives can win from the position they're in. I find that a really fascinating insight, the economic indicator. So that in 1979, Jim Callaghan was preferred to Margaret Thatcher, but the Tories at that point were more trusted on the economy. And no matter how popular the leader is then, it is, as somebody once said, the economy, stupid. Yeah, it is. I mean, the 2019 election was a very untypical election in lots of ways, not because the Conservatives won it. The, the history of British electoral politics is one where the Conservatives win uh, most of the time. But 2019 was very unusual because there's never been an election where a single issue dominated to the extent if, uh, that we saw in 2019. As supporters across all the parties, what was the most important issue at the last election? They all said Brexit. It's true that Conservative supporters said it more than Labour, but across all the parties, they had Brexit as the key issue. This time, 2024, will be much more about normal politics, i.e. which party is seen as more competent, which party is seen as best placed uh, to run the economy in an efficient manner. So we're back to normal politics. And, and unusual, uh, Labour is ahead. And it reminds me, you know, without doing overdoing the parallels, it is reminiscent of the 1990s when Labour overtook the Conservatives from 1993 onwards in terms of the, the party of economic competence. And there was no way back. And what happened was you had a whole string throughout the mid-1990s of Conservative by-election defeats with huge swings from Conservatives to Labour. In fact, the biggest one of all, it even exceeded the swing from Conservative to Labour in Wellingborough you know, yesterday. It had those swings of those magnitude. And people say, oh, by-elections don't matter. They do matter because we knew from that point in around 1994 that Labour was on course for a big win at the next election. It's a complete leap of faith to assume that, the, that those Conservatives who did stay at home, and there were plenty who stayed at home in Wellingborough uh, and Kingswood, will simply return to the Conservatives 
at the general election. That they actually, if you look at by-election evidence over the years, that simply is not the case. So the question now, what the Conservatives do, I mean, all they can do is hope for a budget on March the 6th that is actually popular with the public, that inflation continues to come down, that this so-called technical recession is over very quickly. And that way, it's conceivable the Conservatives could close the gap and cause some panic in Labour's ranks if, if that gap closes significantly. But to win it from here, it would be the equivalent of, of Luton winning the uh, the Premier League or Sheffield United uh, at, at this stage in terms of where the Conservatives are. <laughs> and uh, Adam, I know you've written on your Substack today, effectively saying that the election is over. After the wipeout is your headline. Why are you confirmed in your view that the result of the election is a foregone conclusion? Well, I think for many of the same reasons that John's just set out. I mean, there's always a lot of discussion about narrowing polls. We've had some of that this week with Labour uh, on their crisis on anti-Semitism and over the, the row over the abandoning their £28 billion green growth plan. There's been a lot of discussion about the polls. Will, won't they narrow? And there was one or two polls showing that there was a slight narrowing. But of course, there were some other polls this week which showed the opposite. And actually, if you look at this longer term over the last couple of years, the polls have barely moved really over the last two years. And I think a lot of that is down to the economy. I think that the public has essentially made up their mind about this government, about its economic record. And actually, we have some some polling that we've commissioned for Byline Times, which by the time you're listening to this will, will be on, on the website, showing that three quarters of voters now believe that the Prime Minister's economic plan is not working, which is a massive problem for the, for the government. Uh, in the wake of the by-elections today, the Rishi Sunak was out on the airwaves insisting once again our plan is working and don't go back to square one. Well, the public just isn't buying that. Our poll shows that these by-elections, which one of which had the second biggest swing to Labour on record, show that the public just isn't buying that argument from the Conservative Party that their plan is working. And I think even if we do see the economy picking up a bit over the coming months, as I think it probably will do, I just don't think that's going to be enough to convince voters that they need to stick with the government not least because even if inflation does continue to come down as it as it probably will that still means that prices are rising and that still means that we've had an extended period of 14 years now in which growth has been quite spectacularly flat at best if the uk economy had carried on its on the same trajectory it was on before the financial crisis households will be 24% better off than they currently are. So that's obviously going to have an impact on how people are going to vote in the general election, even if we don't consider the state of public services and we all know about waiting lists and on the NHS and everything else. We should never underestimate the ability of Labour to score an own goal. And I'm sure there will be some own goals scored over the coming months. But I just don't I don't see a scenario whereby that's enough to turn around the, the huge lead Labour has at the moment and these huge by-election victories that they seem to be stacking up sort of month after month at the moment. John, what are we to make of the rise of Reform UK? Well, Reform UK are a nuisance for the Conservatives. I don't envisage Reform UK achieving the shares of the vote that UKIP and then the Brexit party, spectacularly in, in, Europe, in the European Parliament election, the last one in, in 2019, I don't envisage Reform UK uh, scaling those heights because their agenda is less clear, whereas UKIP and Brexit, and the clues in the title for the Brexit party, ha had a very, very clear agenda as, as to what they wanted. But Reform UK can still do a lot of damage to the Conservatives because they do provide a home, a repository 
for disaffected conservatives who feel that Brexit has not delivered for them, that it wasn't properly delivered by the conservatives, or who are just generally disaffected with politics, but don't particularly uh, have any love uh, for Labour. The other thing, the point to make about reform, of course, is that it's going to stand virtually everywhere at uh, this time, according to the leader, Richard Tice, if they have the resources to do so. Whereas Nigel Farage called off the dogs in terms of the Brexit party, standing in conservative hell seats, reform will contest seats across the board. And you've got to remember as well, I mean, that, that Conservative Leave vote was a big, big factor in 2019. The Conservatives hoovered up, they, they've got 75% of the 2016 Brexit referendum Leave vote. That Leave vote went massively to the Conservatives, delivered a huge success for Boris Johnson in 2019. Some of those will peel off. And even though even, even though reform might not repeat the scores they got last night, the percentage scores of 13% uh, in Wellingborough, 10% in, in Kingswood, even if they only get five or six percent that can make all the difference in an election so they are a nuisance they are a threat they'll peel off more from the conservatives than they will from labor albeit they will peel off some of of, of labor's support and yet i think the chance of reform winning a seat if farage doesn't stand for them i think farage would have a chance but um are, are probably negligible but they can still affect the election outcome in some way i mean i'm sure your labor's going to win anyway reform though has the potential to make things really really bad for the conservatives I know that uh, Rishi Sunak in his post-by-election interviews has been saying that a vote for reform is a vote for Starmer. So clearly he is rattled by their advance. Talking more generally, John, about the impact of Brexit and the failure of Brexit to deliver the economic benefits that were promised, is there a sense that although we're past that peak of 2019 Brexit fever, that disenchantment with Brexit is in any way playing into people's voting patterns? Well, I think there was probably a heightened sense of expectation as to what could be achieved from Brexit. Uh, Those people who voted, tended to vote for Brexit, were were often those who were not economically well off and and did attribute some of their economic ills to the European Union. That does not turn out to be the case. That's not to say that those economies in Europe are, are pulling up trees themselves. They're not. But obviously Brexit, the spoils of Brexit, to some extent, it was obviously off- offset by the fact we had the deepest recession ever during COVID. The economy was absolutely plunged into darkness and it's taken and will take years to recover from the level of borrowing that was involved in that. So so that also weighed heavily against any possible Brexit dividend, if you believe, that, that one was to be had. Many of the people who voted for Brexit were, were, were disillusioned, quite a lot were disillusioned with, with politics more broadly. So it's been very difficult to see a visible Brexit dividend. Of course, it was not just about the economy, it was about sovereignty as well, that Brexit vote. But that's not a tangible, the economy is is the tangible thing uh, in many ways. And yeah, because the economy has been flatlining, people don't see a great boom. They've obviously had other things that have been beyond the government's control, such as the rising fuel prices, which have severely affected people's disposable incomes. The sum of the parts is that people tend to blame the government. This is why the Conservatives are in a worse situation than they were in the 1990s when they were looking down the barrel at a Blair landslide that duly came in 1997, because you can make a a decent case that the Conservatives actually ran the economy pretty well from around 1995, but people had stopped listening to the Conservatives, and so they still got hammered in 1997. The Conservatives at the moment can't even claim a great economic success story in the way that Frankly, John Major could claim some economic successes from around 1995 onwards. The Conservatives can't even do that at the moment, really. And that's why I think they're in actually potentially a worse position 
than ever previously. Do you hear much chatter about Reform UK in the corridors of Westminster, Adam? Are they perceived by Tory MPs to be a threat? The problem with Reform UK is it's some, some, somewhat of a sort of comfort blanket for Conservative supporters within the party and in the media. It's kind of easier for them to say, well, if only the Conservatives went more to the right, became more populist, then, you know, they wouldn't be losing as they are now. And there's certainly lots of Conservative MPs who are who are suggesting that. And lots, lots of these new Conservative groupings like Liz Truss's Popular Conservatives are making the argument. But I'm not entirely convinced that were reform not on the scene, that the the sort of 10% of voters who turned out in, in these by-elections for reform would vote for the Conservatives instead. I suspect a large portion of those would simply stay at home anyway. And actually what's the really significant story here is that voters across the political divide are just not listening to the Conservatives anymore. And they're starting to listen to the Labour Party, albeit they're not massively infused by Keir Starmer and his leadership. They're willing to vote for whichever party is in a viable position to win the next general election. And, and that's clearly the Labour Party. So I think, yes, the reform is it's significant. And if they win a, a sizable proportion in, in, in the general election, that will have an impact. But I, I don't entirely buy the argument that these are voters that in, in all other circumstances would be voting for Rishi Sunak's party anyway. Yeah, I'm just thinking if you were Keir Starmer and if you do come to power with a grudging acceptance that you're the best of a bad lot and with relatively low expectations, that might not be such a bad starting point. But are Conservatives now starting to whisper about Rishi Sunak? Is there any kind of leadership contest on the horizon, do you think? I don't think so. I mean, obviously there are... There are a handful. There's been a couple of Conservative MPs who have, have come out and called for him to go, but it's only a couple. And there are people who are kind of in the in the wings waiting to take over from Rishi Sinha. But by and large, they don't want to be taking over at this point. Nobody wants to be responsible for what looks set to be the worst Conservative defeat in generations. They want to wait until this is over to pick up the pieces afterwards. And I think that's what we're going to see. And a lot of the debate within the Conservative Party now isn't really about what happens at the general election most Conservative MPs understand that that's pretty much lost. It's about what happens after the general election. And you can see that Conservative MPs think it's lost by how many are standing down at the moment. Was, you know, every week there are more, there seem to be more Conservative MPs who announce that they're not going to stand at the general election. And there's a very obvious reason for that. So no, I don't think that Rishi Sunak is, any, is in any real threat. We, we probably will see some more Conservative MPs coming out calling him to stand down, but I don't think that's going to reach a tipping point anytime soon unless things get really bleak over the coming months. You talk about Labour's ability to shoot itself in the foot, Adam, of course, in the forthcoming Rochdale by-election, Labour won't have a candidate after a, an anti-Semitism yes. row yeah. involving the candidate they had selected as a Ali, who no, no longer has the backing of the Labour Party. So I suppose that just reminds us that until election day, there are many things that can happen that we simply can't foresee. And I think that whole um, scenario was pretty badly handled by the Labour leadership. I think they should have taken a clear line as soon as these comments were first reported or were first brought to them on, on Saturday last week. And they didn't do so. There was an attempt to try and carry on with the same candidate, which they later had to abandon. And it has highlighted what is a sense within the Labour Party that these allegations are often treated on a kind of factional basis. So while you have some Labour MPs who face allegations of similar comments, Kate Osmore and Annie McDonald, who actually most most people in the party would say their comments were not 
anywhere near on the same scales as what the Rochdale candidate, the comments that he made, but they were treated very harshly by the Labour leadership. The suspicion is because they're on the left of the party, whereas some, somebody like the Rochdale candidate, who's on the, seen as being on the right of the party, was given a bit of leeway. That is the perception. I think that's worrying that Labour is is making those kinds of own goals at this stage when pretty much everything is going in their, in their favour. It does suggest that there may be some issues if and when Labour does get into government in managing these kinds of issues. And I, as I say, I do think it, it's more when than if at this stage. It's not glorious politics, John, but is the best thing that Keir Starmer could do between now and the election, is it to just shut up and let the Tories continue making a mess of it? Probably, yes, that's enough to get the <laughs> Labour Party over the line. Keir Starmer's judgment was certainly called into question. I agree with Adam. I, I thought he handled the Rochdale debacle very badly indeed initially because it was absolutely abundantly clear once Azhar Ali made those initial comments, once they were reported, that his position was untenable as the Labour candidate for Rochdale. Quite why Keir Starmer equivocated for 48 hours and getting shadow, one shadow minister at least, and several senior front benches to go out and shore up his position, that was nonsense. I mean, um, it was obvious that he couldn't stand as, as the Labour uh, candidate, even though obviously it's, it's hugely embarrassing for Labour, a party that has won more votes than all the other parties put together at the last two general elections in Rochdale. I thought that was poor leadership from him, although he did act eventually in the way that he should have done initially. So, yeah, La Labour's far from, from gaff-free, and it's also difficult to see what Labour stands for that would be hugely different from the Conservatives. Having attended Labour Party conferences over recent years, the, the big flagship policy that kept being announced and then re-announced was the big green economy initiative, which has been gradually removed from the equation, effectively dropped only recently. So these big policy changes that Labour will introduce will be interesting to see. They're basically relying upon people being utterly disillusioned with the Conservatives, both in terms of competence and economic stewardship, to win the election. I don't think that's particularly healthy in terms of democratic politics, but it's we are where we are. Uh, and obviously, Keir Starmer has introduced overall, notwithstanding the Rochdale fiasco, a much greater amount of competence at the head of the Labour Party. But yeah, I mean, <laughs> Keir Starmer's radical politics now are confined to what? Votes at 16, which if you look at survey opinions, most people appear to be against. And you wonder where the other radical policies are from, from the Labour Party. I can't name any off the top of my head. I think to be fair to the Labour Party, it is true that they have gradually sort of whittled away their more radical policies. I think the House of Lords is another example of that, where they originally planned to scrap the House of Lords, that's been watered down. I think one area where it does remain is on workers' rights. There are some significant policies to increase working rights and and to row back on some of the anti-strike reforms that the, the government brought in. But even on that, you can see that pressure is building. I think the Times splashes today on business pressure from Labour to drop those policies. We'll see whether that's another one that gets added to the list. On the 28 billion, I think that was quite spectacularly bad timing from Labour to drop that policy the week before it was confirmed that the UK has gone into a recession. I mean, how useful would it be right now for the Labour Party to be saying, we've got this big plan to kickstart the UK economy after 14 years of stagnation, we're in a recession, this is our plan. This is why it's important. That would be a really powerful argument for Labour to be making right now. And they're simply unable to make it because last week they abandoned, as you say, their flagship policy on that. 
Adam, thank you. And thank you to Professor John Tong from Liverpool University. My name is Adrian Goldberg and you've been listening to the Byline Times podcast. We are funded by subscriptions to the Byline Times. That's our wonderful monthly newspaper. You can find out how to subscribe over at our newsbreaking website, bylinetimes.com. And just to flag up as well, Take a listen to the previous episode of this podcast when we talked about the new Byline Times Vote Watch campaign. We're going to be trying to keep an eye on all of the parties in the run to the election. But if you see something that you think might count as sharp practice in terms of people trying to inappropriately influence the vote, then please email votewatch24 at bylinetimes.com. And we have got a little crowdfunder as well to help us make sure that all of the parties and all of the candidates are observing the rules on donations and fair play in the run-up to the election. You can support that by heading over to subscribe.bylinetimes.com forward slash votewatch. That's subscribe.bylinetimes.com forward slash votewatch. This has been a We Bring Audio production for the Byline Times. We'll see you again very soon. Cheers now. Bye-bye.